Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my co-host Azul GG. What's up Azul? How you doing buddy? I'm doing pretty good Chip. Just got done with uh, Milwaukee Regionals where I managed to place top 16 which is cool. First day two of the extended season and uh now i'm just staying at a friend's in between uh was it milwaukee and naic and then i'll be driving down to naic shortly here in a couple days or columbus for naic shortly here in a couple days what about you chip how was your uh milwaukee experience i didn't actually say what's up to you too often i like i saw you like once throughout the whole tournament i think yeah, um, we we just, we like barely. <laughs> I pretty much only saw you to give you the dice. I feel like yeah, <laughs> like maybe talked one other time. But yeah, it was a good experience. It was a, a busy weekend. Um, I actually had a pretty terrible time as far as traveling goes. Getting to Milwaukee, my flight got delayed in the morning on Friday, and it caused me to miss my connection. Then I had to get on standby for another flight, which I thankfully was able to get. If I hadn't gotten on standby, I was going to have to do another uh, two segments of flying that night, so I would have had to have been on three different planes that day, <laughs> which would have just been absolutely miserable. It would have been like a 14-hour travel day. It ended up not being the worst but when I got to Milwaukee, finally, my bag was not with me that I checked. So it was quite the headache. It ended up not getting there that night. They said they were going to put it on a later flight. Didn't end up happening. It actually went. So I flew from Raleigh to Philadelphia, got on standby, went Philadelphia to Milwaukee. My bag went from Raleigh to Philadelphia, Philadelphia to Charlotte, spent the night in Charlotte, and then went from Charlotte to Milwaukee, finally on Saturday, and I got it Saturday evening. But all my clothes for casting and stuff were in my bag, so I literally had to go out and buy a new suit, a new um, a new jacket, new pants, new underwear, socks, like literally everything. I had, no I had to go buy a toothbrush. I had nothing at all. It was pretty annoying, but thankfully got it all figured out. And uh, the games that we got to see this weekend were actually a lot of fun. So we're going to be spending a lot of time today talking about Milwaukee. was really a great time. We saw some incredible matches on the stream. The meta is seeming, you know, there's a lot of Palkia, obviously, but there's a lot of other cool stuff. It's still very early on in the meta. We're definitely getting in a uh, spot where things are getting a little bit more defined, and I think we'll see that be fleshed out a little bit more this coming weekend at NAIC. But before we break down the topics, I also do want to mention something that we just started up, and that is the Highlights channel, a second channel here for the podcast here on uh, YouTube that you guys should definitely check out. I'm going to be uploading some of the clips from the podcast here and there over on that channel. Go subscribe to it. The link will be in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. So if you ever don't watch the full podcast, you just want to catch a couple of highlights here and there, it's a good place to check it out. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, today, got a couple things to talk about. Yeah, mostly going to be Milwaukee, um, but then uh, talk about... Uh, we were both in Milwaukee. I was playing, as always, finally made a day two. Chip was casting, um, and then, yeah, Milwaukee, going to be the main thing we're talking about, of course, and we'll always have or guess that flavor text segment later on after that. And then there is another huge tournament coming up this weekend in the North American International Championships, the biggest tournament of the year. Well, it's the biggest tournament of the year as far as player size goes. Worlds is the bigger tournament, but yeah. The More most, prestige, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. The most populated tournament NAIC will be this weekend. Um, I'll be playing once again. And then I think it was just announced today 
right? That uh, yes. you will be casting, right, Chip? Yeah, it just got announced today. I'm super excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very thankful that Pokemon keeps wanting to bring me out to these events. <laughs> I really do enjoy it. I love the community, love the game, love getting to uh, provide a voice for the game to anyone watching along at home. It's going to be a good time. Myself, Kyle Sablehouse, um, Scarzig, and also Frosted Caribou going to be joining the cast for the first time. So I'm excited to work with everyone gonna be a lot of fun so let's go ahead and break it down get into milwaukee now you were there as a player like we mentioned you ended up getting i think 10th place top 16 when it was all said and done why don't you just talk yeah. to us a little bit before we talk about the results about what you played why you chose to play it uh, because obviously top 16 a super solid finish for like a 700 player tournament yeah so played uh arceus Flying Pikachu B-Barrel. Uh, there was a Crobat VMAX in there as well for the Mew matchup, of course. And there's like some other like knee situations where the Crobat can be good. But of course, Flying Pikachu, Lightning-type Pokemon, one of Chaos Palkia. Can't be hit by basic Pokemon, so that's kind of your Reggie matchup as well, all in that one card. And then Arceus, such a great attacker by itself. Like, it's just Arceus can cover so many situations. And then also played two Charon's Care and a Palpad, so pretty heavy on the healing on the Arceus as well. So a lot of just like... There's a lot of stuff you can do with Arceus when you have Charon's Care with it. So, um, <clears throat> played that um, and played it. We're, we were going to play Palkia and Teleon, but then we were kind of like, Palkia and Teleon feels like a slightly uphill battle going into this tournament specifically. Like, Palkia, there were just eight Palkias in top eight of the Melbourne Regional in Australia. I was like, well, a lot of people are going to be taking for it. A lot of people are going to be playing it. Um, I don't know. It just felt like, it just kind of like a, not a terrible choice to play Palkia and Teleon because obviously the deck still did very well and a ton of great players chose to play it, but it just kind of felt like, I don't know, I just didn't want to take that uphill battle by playing it. So ran a spreadsheet on the win percentages for every deck in the format that we thought was relevant and what we would consider playing. And, uh, and then also how much we expected each deck to be played at the tournament. And uh, Arceus, Flying Pikachu, B-Barrel won the spreadsheet. So that's why I played Arceus, Flying Pikachu, B-Barrel. And... Um, Tournament went, I mean, pretty well, right? I got 10th place, lost my winning in on stream, or might have been a winning in. I would have had to have tied the next round, which mm -hmm. I might not have been able to do, and then I could have bubbled, so potential Your resistance was the best stream. of the players in yeah. uh, at 31 match points, so. So probably would have been in if I had been able to get the ID on the following round, but, um, but yeah, day one uh, made a pretty big, I went 6-2-1 from day one to day two. Uh, my two losses were prizing a flying Pikachu at one point uh, against the Palkia. And then my other loss was I uh, got a double prize penalty for not taking a prize card one time. So this guy. pretty much uh, <laughs> a little unlucky. My own mistakes, even my losses. And I ID'd on the last round up against the Turbo Dark. Um, but there was nothing too crazy that I hit in day one. I hit, I believe, uh, two Palkia Inteleons. I played against a Mew VMAX deck. Uh, hit a Reggie. I hit uh, man. What else did I play? The Turbo Dark on the on the on the win or I ID'd against the Turbo Dark. I played against more Pico hit and run more Pico deck, which uh, was a pretty good matchup because I have Charon's Care and they do you know 150 and then I have Charon's Care and then go from there. They surprised me with a Raichu at one point. Uh, I didn't like I like I, I assumed they had something else. Like yeah, they played yeah. more Pico VMAX. I was like they probably have something else in here. Surprised me with the Raichu at one point, but it wasn't enough for them to actually even get a game against me. So uh, two of that as well. But yeah, nothing too. I didn't play against anything too like 
uh, new or cool or interesting, to be honest. It's like a, a lot of the expected meta, and uh, the deck like handles all that really well. Like it won the <laughs> it won the spreadsheet for a reason, so it can kind of beat all the expected decks uh, reasonably well. And I was hoping to dodge Stone Journey the whole day, which there was only three of them, or like maybe four of them in the tournament, so it wasn't too <laughs> likely I hit them, even if I had the same record as some mm -hmm. of them at some point. But I was really hoping to dodge a whole, the Stone Journey the whole day. And then uh, into day two, uh, beat up on a couple Arceus Duraludons, uh, hit a another Palkia. Um, and then I did lose on stream um, up against the Blissey Mill Tank. And then uh, one, oh, I, I forget, I'm forgetting one of my rounds. Two Arcus Duraladons. It was three Arcus Duraladons I beat. I, I beat at least two Arcus Duraladons. I forget my one of my last rounds. But yeah, and I ended up I ended up winning my last round in uh, uh, day two to get uh, to get 31 points to end up at uh, yeah 10th place. So I mean, pretty good tournament overall, especially for not making a day two so far this season. Can't really complain. Would have liked to have gotten top eight, but um i'll settle for the i'll settle for the top 16 and you weren't the only person in your testing group as well that made it into day two both kid stark and yep. austin bennettheimer also played the exact same 60 i know danny altavilla and caleb getimer both played it in day one didn't quite make it into day two i think caleb lost the winning in right so he was pretty close oh. um it was the round before that okay, yeah he lost okay. he, he he did hit a stone journer <laughs> unfortunate <laughs> but yeah so i mean proof like you know three out of five of your group ended up making it into day two with the same 60s pretty solid conversion overall definitely seems yeah, like a uh, solid play for the weekend um, but yeah let's break down kind of how the rest of the tournament shaped up look at the top eight decks the winning deck ended up being arceus duraludon which i think was a deck people expected to show up at the tournament in some capacity it's kind of just always been there ever since the start of the brilliant stars format uh, at least a little bit, made a few top eights here and there, but I definitely wouldn't have expected it to win going into the weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't have predicted it, but I'm like not too surprised. Sure. Like, it's not like a shock to me. It's actually kind of funny. The way the last couple of metas have developed, if I'm not mistaken, has they've like the the big hype deck was like the the first initial most successful deck, and then the way our meta has trended has kind of followed Japan's meta. Like, like usually when the, when like I see people talking about decks to like play with or that are doing well in Japan, like I heard about Blissey Miltank and Arceus Duraludon, like when Arceus Radiance uh, or Astral Radiance first dropped. Right? right. And then, you know, Melbourne regionals happened and the hype deck and the deck that was doing well in all the online terms was just Palkia. Right. It was just Palkia everywhere. And then all of a sudden we get to this regional. It's like, Oh wait, Arceus Duraludon and Blissey Miltank are just good decks. And they, and then, they got first and second, right? And that kind of is just like the way that the 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 way that J the the meta in Japan seemed to have developed as well. I think it's been that kind of way for like the last couple of formats, where it's just like it's kind of just following their way, which kind of makes sense, right? If the good if the good decks are good, they're going to do well, right? It doesn't matter who's playing them, right? So there's not too much of a difference between our metas, I guess. Overall, is kind of what I'm uh, getting at there. So mm -hmm. sometimes it does feel like there is a little bit of a separation, but it feels like we are are it's like even though we know what's good in japan right now our meta still has to go through the same development that theirs went through even though we know blissey mill tank and like arcus around are good decks over there we still have to go through palkia dominating initially to get to that point you know what i'm saying it's not like we just initially picked up arcus around on a mill tank and everyone just like respected the decks immediately and everyone thought they were like ima amazing top tier decks mm -hmm. and i think they're definitely more fragile than palkia and Teleon in terms of um how they can be countered 
but uh, it seemed like we still had to take that step that Japan already went through, even though Japan was showing us that these decks are definitely, you know, contenders for like regional championships and stuff like that. Yeah, it's almost like we're running two different simulations and getting the same results, right? <laughs> we're plugging <laughs> yeah, the card pool exactly. into a player base, player base determines what's best, and the meta kind of shifts similarly. That is a, definitely a good point. So Braden Elfert was the player that ended up winning was a pretty standard list for the most part. Yeah. The two Hyper Potion, the four Crystal Cave has kind of become the thing. Uh, I would say the one big surprise was the one copy of Eldegoss V, which is not something anyone has really played. I don't think that I've seen at least. I'm not sure if you have the, the Eldegoss V and Duraludon previous to this. No, I've seen, so I've like ran into some people on ladder sometimes who have like a Crobat. And mm -hmm. even though uh, Braden did win, I'm not sold on the Eldegoss. Because I feel like you open it like a r roughly like eight percent of games. I think I think you just lose those eight percent, those eight games, like or that that eight percent, those eight percent, right? Like I think you just lose those games. I don't understand how you wouldn't unless your opponent also breaks, right? So maybe a little bit less than eight percent of games you just lose <laughs> when you open the Eldegoss because up against any Arceus deck, Mew or Palkia, they can take such a huge advantage just by having that thing exist on the board, like. Um, obviously like in like late game scenarios or like to win the game by going to get a boss, which I'm sure, I'm sure they did a ton. Yes. Cause actually like Arcus around and lines up super well to just be like boss, boss, boss. The problem is you don't have shady dealings or like B barrel or any exactly. way to draw your bosses consistently, but then you have Eldegoss to be like, I'm going to go find that third boss or fourth boss or whatever consistently for you. So it does kind of, you know, maybe that win percentage you gain from having that those bosses more consistently makes up for the, that percent of games that you open the Eldegoss, right? And then also like a percent of those, your opponent might brick themselves or you might just draw it hot enough that you can overcome the opening of the Eldegoss, right? Or an emergency Marnie or something like that. You never know when that's going to help out uh, as well. So not not sold on it. Definitely is a, pr a pretty big standout card to include like a deck like this. But um, um, yeah, yeah, like I said, Arcus Duraldon, super powerful deck. I like the rest of their list besides that as well. Just super straightforward. Just trying to be consistent, which I think is like something that has kind of plagued Arcus Duraldon recently is people are trying to get like too spicy with the list. So like that's what holding back it's like overall success in like online tournaments and stuff. Yeah, definitely very consistent. The four research, three Marnie. It's got three Pokey Gears in here to get a little bit more search as well. Four, four split of the ball search cards, one evolution incense for just that one extra option to find Arceus V-Star to Starbirth and get all set up. Um, I didn't get to watch a ton of Braden's games this weekend. I did watch the game two and game three of top eight up against Tord and then obviously the finals. Um, and Tord won game number one. And then game number three came down to a Roxanne from Tord. And Braden drew into a quick ball in order to go get Eldegoss to go get the boss's orders to win the game. So, I mean, that's, I, I think the reason that the Eldegoss is good, like you said, yeah. with um, not having Intellion, not having Bibrael to fill your hand back up, you have a searchable option to go get you that last piece. And specifically with Roxanne being a new inclusion in pretty much all of the Palkia decks, Intellion did prove to be the more popular version of Palkia, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. Um, all of them playing one Roxanne, at least, it seemed like, and also Palpad in addition to that. If you just keep some Quick Balls around, if you keep some Ultra Balls around, you have pretty reasonable outs to find it off of the two cards plus your draw for turn. So you can Ultra Ball to go get it, or you can Quick Ball to go get it as well. So, um, And then, yeah, so that's how Brayden actually won game number two. And then in game three, Tord prized his Roxanne and didn't have an opportunity to try to put him to the low hand size and swing. Cause that's really the strategy um, for the Palkia player in that matchup. It does feel like Palkia can win, 
But Duraludon seems pretty solid. I, I don't know exactly what the percentage would be for this matchup, Palkia versus Duraludon VMAX. It's, it seems close, though. Yeah, I guess I got to give Arcus Duraludon the edge, I think, overall. Um, really low bench size, two AKOs back and forth, and, like, if you catch a Palkia player without a choice belt or without the quick shooting in play for too long, like, the Hyper Potion just, like, completely removes one of their attacks from the turn, right? So um, I think you definitely have to give the edge to the Duraludon. At least slightly, even with the inconsistencies of something like Arceus to rally on, as long as you can get to the Starburst, which is something that like the Palkia player, especially Palkia and Talion, really can't stop you from getting to Starburst, like kind of like the Turbo Palkia list kind of can. Like they can get like that KO on your Arceus before you get to get to Starburst. Um, I feel like Palkia and Talion is not going to really stop you from getting to Starburst uh, too often, which will just usually lead to you getting your Starburst, getting your turn to attack, uh, setting up your Duraludons, and then from there, as long as you find a Hyper Potion, you'll usually win the the prize trade overall. And then, yeah, that is another big reason to like that the Eldegoss is probably pretty good. Um, it's just that, yeah, when you get Roxanne, maybe it's a boss for game, maybe it's research, whatever it might be, um, mm -hmm. you actually have a more consistent way to find something to do for your turn instead of just being like, well, I guess I lose because I got Roxanne and my deck doesn't have a onboard draw engine, which like Intellion isn't quite an onboard draw engine, but we play so many level balls and evolution instances and ultra balls going to get a piece for shady dealing isn't too difficult after you get Roxanne, but something right. like Arceus Duraldon doesn't have anything on board. So a quick ball or an ultra ball becoming a Eldegoss, that's not too bad, right? So definitely feels like that is definitely a huge help now that we have Roxanne. And then second place player was Connor Lavelle playing the Blissey Mill Tank. We talked about how this is something that has been pretty popular in Japan. And you mentioned this last week on the podcast. Uh, Blissey's kind of just been a deck that's been around here and there, kind of a joke deck ever since it came out in Chilling Rain. <laughs> but doesn't really feel like anyone spent time with it in the last format. But even before it got Miltank and Greninja and Switching Cart in this set, which are all big boosts to it, it got double turbo yep. energy and Brilliant Stars, which is almost even a bigger deal because your damage can just really ramp up super quickly and it synergizes incredibly well with Hyper Potion. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that, it kind of makes me wish I had tried Blissey out last format because like one DT, DT dropped, I didn't try out Blissey at all. But like... When I the the te little testing I had done with Blissey leading up to this regionals was like yo DT is like insane with hyper potion like you're like you're able to ramp up your Blissey so much faster because you're only getting word of one energy card per hyper potion you use to heal that Blissey and then you're just like putting three more energy back on it immediately um, so it allows you to ramp up so much faster more so much more consistently with your Blisseys making them such a bigger threat so much sooner um, so it kind of makes me wish I had tried out Blissey last format with before before Astral Radiance had even come out I think it could have been pretty good i'm not thinking of any decks specifically off the top of my head that you would just get demolished by so the blissey could have been pretty good last format to be honest i don't know i can't think of like anything off the top of my head but it was basically just like Mew and arceus decks right like that's all there was so and Ar your arceus matchup is pretty good uh in general with blissey mill tank because the, the hyper potion allows you to you know pretty much fully heal away a trinity nova and then you just start swinging and building up a massive blissey pretty fast so I mean, Mew, you always got, like, your Mew matchup didn't change with this set at all either, right? Like, nothing really changed for your Mew matchup. Mm -hmm. You have a Blissey, but they have Max Miracle. So it still comes down to, like, path kind of sticking as being your main win condition at some point, right? Nevatol can sometimes do some funky right. stuff, but usually doesn't completely lock your opponent out of the game, especially if you don't combo that with, like, a second Nevatol or Crushing Hammers that a lot of people play um, when you're just kind of the more straightforward build. Kind of does just come down to the path. So I actually wonder if Blissey was maybe just also just pretty good last format uh, as well. But yeah, the DT is huge for sure it might even be the most like out of those cards it might be actually the most impactful card for the deck to have so you played versus connor on stream in round 13 like we mentioned if you guys did miss that and want to go watch azul's game 
It was streamed. You can find it on the official Pokemon YouTube channel during the day two stream. Just go scroll until you found round 13. But for anyone who missed it, who doesn't want to go watch it, you want to just give us a quick little recap of kind of how those games went? Because it did go to a three-game set. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that was effectively the winning in. Uh, Connor ID'd after that and was able to make top eight. If I had beaten Connor, I would have ID'd most likely. Uh, maybe would have tried to find out my resistance. And then if it was like, if I knew it was pretty good, I probably would have ID'd as long as my opponent was down too. But if not, I guess I would have had to have beaten them. So um, yeah, so I played against Connor effectively on the winning in. <clears throat> and then game one, um, the way it played out, I was pretty much in full control the whole time. And um, I guess maybe talk about how, like, in theory, going into the matchup, you yeah, felt like yeah. it would work because you guys were also prepared for this. You played one specific card, it feels yeah, like, for the, <laughs> the potential stalemates that could occur, right? Yeah, so I had played against a Blissey Miltank earlier in the tournament as well. And what you do in the matchup, the reason we play the Shauna is that up against Blissey Miltank, if they have a Miltank in the active, you can hit it with B-Barrel and Crobat, um, but they're not reliable attackers into Miltank, especially with how much healing they play. And then if you do attack, and we, we the, the list doesn't play a ton of bosses, or it plays like two boss and a pal pad. So we can boss quite a few times, but then if you like, so if like they're building up a big Blissey on the bench, um, you can boss it and hit it, but they can also just like retreat it and heal it. So like, there's no reliable way to like continuously pressure the Blisseys in the deck. Um, so the main win condition of the deck becomes deck out for both players. So we, I sit there and I use Flying Pikachu with the Max Balloon, and they sit there with Miltank and draw a pass. Uh, so what happens is, depending on how the game goes, one player will ha eventually draw more cards than their opponent. Because um, you both, are, like, they still want to be aggressive with Blissey early, and you want to be aggressive with Arceus early to force the opponent into the Miltank, and for them to force me into the, the Flying Pikachu. Um, so... Uh, the tiebreaker card for that kind of stalemate scenario once we once I get into the flying Pikachu and they send up their mill tank is uh, you know comes down to who decks out. So I we included a copy of Shauna, which allows me to shuffle my hand into my deck and draw five cards. Um, now we do play uh, Marnie, which is effectively a shuffle draw supporter for when you deck out, you can shuffle your whole hand, which is like 30, 40 cards, your whole deck at that point, shuffle that, put it down, and then draw five of it. Uh, but the problem with that is it also shuffles your opponent's hand and puts that back in the deck as well. So if your opponent was winning on deck out, when you deck out and you play Marnie, they're still winning on the deck out race. They, yeah, and I Marnie actually puts first. plus one card in their deck compared to what you get, yeah. right? You're effectively you going minus two minus to two. the deck out race, right? Because you're losing yeah. the Marnie and drawing one more card. Yeah, but when you play the Shauna, you only shuffle your hand into your deck. And Blissey generally plays one to two Marnie. So I'd play a Shauna, then they'd have to play a Marnie, then I'd play a Shauna, then they'd have to play a Marnie. And then at that point, you'd be ahead on the deck out race. Um, so that was basically the game plan and the reason by, behind playing the Shauna in the in the Flying Pikachu deck. Um, and it worked. I used it uh, like, oh, that's the other deck I played in day two was a was a Blissey, a different Blissey. I played against two Blissey Mill Tanks in day two. It worked against the other Blissey Mill Tank because uh, they didn't – they didn't play Tornadus, uh, <laughs> but um, up against Connor, that worked in game one, and the way that Connor played game one, I thought, uh, now the whole time, <clears throat> Connor did play the Tornadus, which allows Connor to move my flying Pikachu to the bench, and then bosses orders it back up to the active and hit it, and if Connor has enough energy on a Blissey, like we saw in game three, it'll one-hit KO my flying Pikachu, removing my only real threat from the board, right, depending on the scenario, and that's what happened in game three, it was my only threat on the board, because uh, I was trying to win game three instead of tie game three, so I didn't set up more more Pokemon on the bench, because I knew that Connor played a ton of bosses' orders, so Connor could win the game 
will completely ignore my flying Pikachu if I put too many prize cards on board and just set up a massive blitz and just go boss, boss, boss and KO everything around my Pikachu, right? Uh, especially with Hyper Potions healing it all the time. So even when I'm hitting it with a flying Pikachu, I'm not pressuring it enough to make it so it can't just boss again on the next turn and KO more stuff. Um, so in game one, Connor played through most of their deck and didn't have an answer for my flying Pikachu. So I thought Connor was bluffing that they played something like Escape Rope um, and was like playing as if they had Escape Rope, but then they just, then they were like, at the end of it all, they were just like, okay, I'll concede, right? Um, so they concede game one. Uh, in game two, Connor was actually able to win game two because I had to put too many Pokemon in play to be able to get the flying Pikachu set up that Connor was able just to boss, boss, boss the prize cards off my bench. Um, so I wasn't able to, uh, I wasn't able to win game two and I didn't see the Tornadus in game two either because Connor was able to avoid using it. And then in game three, I had the clean board state and actually Connor, I think made a misplay by actually hitting my Arceus, which allowed me to then Charon's carrot and go to lone flying Pikachu, completely eliminating Connor's chance to win the game. So at that point, Connor took away their own win condition. Um, and if Connor just sits behind a mill tank for the whole game, uh, the game always ties, um, so Connor always had that as a as an out to just sit behind a mill tank, right? Or for the most part, if, if Connor had just played around sitting behind mill tanks, maybe healing them if I do attack with the Crobat or whatever. But if I bench the Crobat, then all of a sudden Connor could win with the Tornadus. So if Connor just like sits behind mill tanks uh, and doesn't hit my Arceus, Connor always has like that option of just setting up a huge Blissey on the bench, forcing me to have to constantly have bosses orders to bring it up over and over and over again until I run out of boss. And then eventually build up an actual huge Blissey on the bench that I can't boss up anymore. And then comes up and can do the Tornadus play and KO my Pikachu or KO my... KO my uh, Arceus and then chase bosses ordered whatever other Pokemon I had put in play at that point. Um, but Connor actually hits my Arceus with the route. And then I actually am able to go to a, a board state of lone flying Pikachu. But I didn't know that Connor played Tornadus at that point because they didn't use it in game one or two. So I was like, okay, I can either sit here and guarantee the tie, but I can never win the deck out war because we didn't have enough time to win. We didn't have enough time for me to do the Shauna thing and actually win the deck out war because Connor played two Marnie. So like we didn't have enough time left for Connor to draw through their deck two times or three times because <laughs> right. basically no cards have been played at that point. So I was like, okay, I can either, I don't think Connor plays an out. I think they were bluffing in game one. I know they don't have echoing horn or anything. So I can put my Crobat in play here, attack with Crobat, pressure this mill tank, force Connor to play the game by putting Blissies and mill tanks in play. Um, and I was pretty sure at that point that Connor only played the one mill tank, but I wasn't quite sure if they had another one or not. But I was like, just force more Pokemon and play by poisoning with the Crobat. I was actually going to try and set up B-Barrel to swing with that as well, but Connor did boss KO my B-Doops, and the other one was prize, so wasn't able to set up the B-Barrel. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to go that route, because I don't think Connor has an out. So even if I put the Crobat VMAX in play, the Pumpkaboo and the Bidoof in play, that's only five prize cards on board. So even if Connor boss KOs all of those Pokemon, I can still just go to Lone Flying Pikachu and just use Fly or Max Balloon and they can never win. So my idea was that Connor could never win the game and I could maybe win the game. But my but the expected outcome at that point for me was it'll probably still be a tie. Um, so we start going through it and then eventually Connor builds up a massive Blissey on the bench like what is like is what I expected. Connor was just going to try and pressure my bench Pokemon no matter what, you might as well, right? If I'm going to play the game, they also have to play the game. Uh, but then it turns out Connor did play the Tornadus, <laughs> which pushes my Pikachu to the bench and allows him to boss it back into the active and then uh, knock it out. And at that point, I had no other threats on board because I didn't plan to build up any other threats because I was like, I'm not going to put any more Pokemon in play because then I will lose the game if Connor just has boss, boss, boss or something like that. So I didn't actually want to bench any more Pokemon than the Crobat, the Punkaboo, and the Bidoof because then Connor could actually win by bossing six prize cards off the bench. So I just wanted to just bench those. If Connor can boss KO all three of those, that's fine. I just continue using Max Balloon and it ends up in a tie. And if not, then I probably win because I assumed Connor didn't have an out. But 
So Tornadus was there, and it worked just as Connor had planned, so I ended up losing to Connor in game three there. So I could have guaranteed the tie as soon as turn, like, three when I picked up, when I Charon's carried my Arceus. Um, but I was like, I didn't think Connor had an out there, so I may as well play for the win. Because no matter what, at that point, to me, with the information I had, I was like, it's either a tie or a win for me if I just don't overbench. I didn't overbench, but, yeah, Tornadus <laughs> got the dub in the end. So really close set against Connor. It was a, it was a pretty exciting one, and, uh, yeah, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, it almost seems like you were laughing on, on the stream whenever he played the Tornadus down. It's like, come on, man, really? Like, <laughs> we're playing this card. And um, it ended up working out. And I think it was actually just like a pretty solid card for Connor on the weekend, to be honest. He uh, talked about it in the, I interviewed him the first time he got on for an interview, I think, after uh, Top 8, I believe. And, um, or I guess the second time, maybe. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I I, I was just talking to him about it. And he said, you know, in the animal kingdom, there are uh, herbivores and carnivores. I call Blissey a sobblevore. And Sobble just like loves to <laughs> chase down or Blissey just loves to chase down the sobbles with the powerful colorless energy. Tornadus is one of the things that can let you do that. Of course, four bosses orders as well. Um, you know, just take those quick prizes and slow your opponent's setup down a lot and throw a bunch of energies onto Blissey. I don't know, man, the, the Blissey... I definitely like I don't know that I would have expected it to make it all the way to the finals. I, I wouldn't be have been surprised to see one in top eight, but it really does seem like a pretty solid deck. And we can talk a little bit more later about what that means for the uh, the NAIC meta. But yeah, congratulations to Connor on getting second. Yeah, for sure. No, it definitely seems like it's solid. Like I said, I wasn't really surprised by either of them making top eight. The the Archistradon or the or the Blissey or making the finals Archistradon or Blissey like both those decks like like it's not like if you had asked me if I thought they would have at the beginning of the event I'd be like right, nah right. but like it wasn't a huge surprise but one deck that was definitely not a huge surprise uh, that made top eight and there was three of them was the Palkia and Talion of course three of them in top eight and they were all pretty different um, but all like they, like all the differences were like they were all powerful cards still I feel like at the uh, at the end of the day. So we yeah, had Franco, so they were all Palkia uh, and Tellian. There wasn't any Turbo yeah, yeah, Palkia. No it was all based on Intellian, but the card choices from each of the players was quite different. So Franco made top four with cross switchers and rare candy in his deck. Rare candy is actually a card. If you look at any Japanese list, it feels like they are all playing one copy of rare candy. And Franco's a Japanese American. Uh, and he, I know, communicates and talks a lot with the top-level Japanese players. So I'm not at all surprised to see that that's a card he chose to play. And I watched him yeah. utilize it pretty decently as well, just go Rare Candy into Double Shady Dealings. Um, it's kind of just like random when you have it and can use it because you don't really ever want to <laughs> Shady Dealings out the Rare Candy, it feels like, you know? Yeah. Uh, you can Irida for it, I guess, is is one of the de the decent reasons for it. But uh, And then, yeah, Torrid Reklev was in top eight as well. He did lose to Brayden, who won the event. Uh, in top eight, uh, but Tord was playing four Irida. He also had a couple of other interesting texts in there. The one Nessa, one copy of Cheryl as well. Cheryl's also a card that Franco was playing. And then Riley Holbert was the other Palkia player in top eight. And his was kind of just a more Aggressive, uh, traditional, sure. I guess, in, uh, deck. Just didn't play Irida. As opposed, so zero Irida yeah. and just used the researches, Marnie's, Roxanne. Also had a Crobat V in there to draw cards. Um, so yeah, I mean, all three of the decks are pretty different. What are your thoughts on the, the three different ones? Is uh, Franco's with the cross switcher and the rare candy the best one since it made top four, or do you prefer one of the other two? Um, I don't know. There's not like, it's so hard to tell. It's like the deck is so powerful and versatile as it is. It's like, 
you can almost just put whatever you want with it maybe like (laughs) yeah yeah, gear guarantees you the card draw cross watch cross switchers let you do like other stuff while you like also gust something in the same turn like you play a research or something alongside it and that's what we saw um i guess we could mention it while we're talking about pocket like bradner bradner and crew played a uh like probably the most aggressive Palkintelli on list I think I've seen so far. Yeah. Four battle VIP pass, four cross switchers, right? Like there's like a there's so many ways to play it and so many ways people are playing it. Like is one better than the other? The Cheryl seems pretty good as kind of a maybe kind of like a mirror match breaker, but like Riley played the Leon, which is also like a mirror match breaker kind of card. You know what I'm saying? Like something to put you over the edge in the mirror match. Like Leon's really good at that. Cheryl sounds pretty good in the mirror match, but maybe a little bit better against stuff like the Arceus uh, Duraladon, where it's kind of a two-hit KO situation going back and forth. Um, I don't know. They're all good. Uh, <laughs> which one's best? I'm not, like, really too sure. I mean, I don't really have, like, a too strong of a preference over any of the cards. All the cards are good. The Rakandi specifically, I think, is specifically, like, played because when you go first, if you whiff turn one Palkia, you can still turn two Candy Attack with Inteleon. Like, if you could just get an attachment on a Sobble, I think it's the main reason that that's okay. included in the Japanese list is that you can go like turn one attach a Sobble, turn two Irida, Candy, and Teleon, and you at least get to attack turn two uh, more often because of that than just sitting there and being like, well, I guess I'll keep calling for some more Sobbles or something. But I don't know. I, I mean, what about you? How much Palkia have you played? Do you have like a a favorite of these or like cards you like? I think Tord also played Starmie, right? So that's like another thing to mention. Maybe Starmie yeah. was not in all the decks for sure. Another difference for sure. Yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten to play with any of them yet. Uh so I haven't worked through which one of the variants I enjoy the most. I mean, I think just looking at it on paper, to me, I would lean towards the Riley Holbert build with the researches. Um, I just am not the biggest fan of Irida. I don't know. I- I've gone back and forth on it a little bit. Like the game's last, uh, you know, the Palkia mirrors and like or if you're going up against Palkia versus Mew or something like that, the games just don't last that many turns. So it's like you can afford to play Irida, you just need the one research to bail you out, you just need specific pieces. Um, but with so many of the other decks being out there, you're kind of okay just playing the more traditional supporters, having the one-shot option in the Leon. I don't know, I mean, I think you could definitely play just a combination of all of these lists as well, and it would do just fine. The, the th- that's the thing about Palkia, the card is so powerful, you know, you've got your base 50 cards or whatever, those last 10 Obviously, like, I mean, maybe it comes down to preference a little bit or like which specific thing in the meta you expect a little bit more of, like how necessary will cross switchers be versus how nice would it be to have the healing option. So I don't know. I think it'll just kind of depend if you're preparing for to play Palkia Intellion for NAIC. It just kind of depends on what you think the other decks will look like. I think it's going to be one of the problems going to NAIC, though. There's going to be so many different decks i think this is like this tournament opened up the meta like even more i think mew has been kind of on like there wasn't like that a ton of mew at this event i'm actually curious to know its actual overall meta percentage but um i think it's gonna be a lot more diverse going to nic i think palkin teleon is the deck that you have to beat but i think we're getting to the point where you could take a loss to mew to be honest like i think we're getting there obviously you don't want to but all right, and Azul, so we know Azul's playing Mew for yeah. NAIC this weekend. If you can beat literally everything else, or pretty much, like or get like a 50-50 or greater against everything else, but take a hard loss to Mew, hit, yo, hit me up. I want to see that deck list. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely... Um, we, we are at the ahead. point where Mew is the least countered, for sure, which is kind of yeah. weird. It's the least countered, and it's also not... 
It wasn't super heavily played. It did pretty decently. There were still people playing it. There was a, a decent amount in day two, but a lot of people really were hype on the Intelli or the uh, Palki, I should say, it, it felt like. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the a lot of the best players in the game chose to play Palki and Intellion, right? And that matchup is fine for Palkia. So unless a lot of the best players in the game, which is only so many best players in the game, also played Mew. I don't know if I'm really going to... I, I don't know if I'm going to be really content calling the matchup fine. When I watched so many of them play out. It just, it literally comes down to Roxanne Path is literally yeah. what it feels like the matchup comes down to. So if you but can it's just... Like a, 50 50 at that point still <laughs> i think if you play mew with trekking shoes and pumpkaboo you have plenty of dig slash outs to get out of that lock it's possible i still think it's pretty close mew is like mew has awkward draws early where like sometimes you just expend too much in one direction or another i think palkia plays a term that i've been using a lot a lot recently is just plays more games in terms of like your deck has to be powerful enough to actually win games but if your deck is, the more games you play, the more chances you have to win, right? So that's why I'm like a still. That's why I was a big fan of playing the Arceus deck this weekend because I felt like I just played a lot of games of Pokemon, right? I wasn't going, okay, Genesect, no VIP pass, I'll pass. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I just felt like I was playing more games of Pokemon uh, than than pretty much most of my opponents, and just more or more consistent games of Pokemon too. Because I played like I would play a couple of the Arcus Duraldon players I played against. You know, they would draw Marnie and be like, "Well, I hit nothing. I'll pass." You know, <laughs> um, and then I'd be able to, you know, I have like the the leverage of like the Ultra Ball or the Quick Ball for the Crobat. You know, a little bit extra draw power, like stuff like that, B Barrel, yeah. whatever. So like, I just feel like I played a lot of games. games. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I feel like Palkia, Palkia Intellion plays a couple more games than than Mew, right? So that's going to be at your advantage as well. It's like those games where the Mew player are just bricks, you're also just going to win those games as well. And then the, if the rest of them are 50-50, you actually come out on the on the on the advantage at the end of that, right? So I don't know. I think it's pretty close. Yeah, a lot of it is Roxanne Path. A lot of Roxanne Path, but I, even then, though, the matchup is still pretty close to 50-50. I think. And speaking of Mew, there was a player who got top four with the Mew, which is Chris Nudzvig, or uh, Knudzvig, sorry. I <laughs> I thought it was just Nudzvig at first, and then when I asked him how to pronounce his name, he was like, yeah, it's weird. You do pronounce the K. So Knudzvig getting top four with the Mew VMAX. Nothing super spicy in this list. I would say like the biggest thing to take away is the decision to play a three 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 split of the like turbo items. We, we talked about this a little bit last week, right? The yeah, three Cramomatic, three Rotom Phone, and three Trekking Shoes. Yeah, one of the players in Australia did this, right? Didn't they do a yeah. three three three? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just looks so weird. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sold on Cramomatic being the best of the three, to be honest. Like, you just get heads. You can turn any item card into just the game winning card. Like, right. I'm pretty convinced that Cramatic is just, it also like thins out Battle VIP passes, which is like one of Mew's potential struggles. You have the Quick Balls, you have the Ultra Balls. Those can discard anything, obviously, but, you know, being able to discard two cards with Ultra Ball and then this other card in the Battle VIP pass with the Cramatic and then potentially getting heads and getting any card you want out of your deck. Wow, that's pretty good. So, yeah, I'm pretty sold on, on you should max Cram before the other two, but, um, I mean, Mew, Mew's Mew. They chose with Gold Boss over Catcher, which is that was the biggest surprise to me. Like, I was pretty sold on Catcher being yeah. the way to go, but coming through with the boss, the good old boss, that's cool to see because, like, I would prefer not to play Catcher if I'm going to play Mew. I'm still pretty convinced that because of the Palkia matchup, you don't want to be KOing a Sobble turn one going second. You want to be KOing a Palkia. Yeah, we saw Rowan Stavenaugh in, in the on the stream in round 14 up against Tord on the winning in, and he was playing the four po or three Pokemon Catchers. 
uh, in the list yeah. and also had the pump kaboo in there. So uh, in that match, I don't know if you've watched any of the streamed games or anything yet, but it came uh, in. They went to game three and in game three, Rowan whiffed the tablet to get the the first two prize KO. And then from there, Tord was just able to actually pull ahead. Didn't even have to rely on Roxanne Path. He just was able to like, um, you know, take six prizes naturally before Rowan was able to because he got the first two prize knockout. Man, that can just kind of happen sometimes in the matchup for sure. But yeah, I think the catch, like you need to force that two prize knockout. That's why I think the yeah, the catcher is so important, right? You don't want to be KOing Sobler, man, if you're whoever else that kind of just threw into the active. Um, and the uh, <clears throat> talking about the deck that was probably the biggest surprise for me, not just how it, not just because of the fact that it's in top eight, but how it did in the tournament in general is actually Arceus and Teleon. Now, I think a lot of it's results for day two there's a very solid group of players who chose to play the deck and it was most of them that were kind of carrying the results for Arcus and Talion for the most part uh one of them is Justin Kulas who made top eight and had a pretty unfortunate top eight matches I think is what I heard on stream I heard it did not go well for Justin no um, it did not uh in yeah. game number one uh, game one was over in literally two minutes Justin goes bent uh start Sobble attach pass and Connor Kind of plays his turnout normally and has a decision between uh, he has like a Greninja active, I think, has the Blissey. He needs one of the three switch outs that Connor had. He had the two switch carts and the one uh, scoop up net. And then he also had the four powerful colorless energy, which he actually prized a powerful colorless energy. So he only had three available in the deck and he had a decision of, OK, do I just try to set up and sit on this like pretty sizable hand that I like that he'd built up after using concealed cards? Um and go for the Avery to just draw three cards, or do I go for the Marnie and see more cards and reset my opponent's hand whenever they just went Sobble Pass? And so I think Connor made the correct decision of just being willing to play it a little slower and just set up a little bit more, played the Avery to just draw three, and off of the three, two of the three cards were Switch Cart and Powerful Colorless Energy <laughs> to just knock out the Sobble. It was pretty rough for Justin, for sure. Yeah, definitely sounds like the correct play in the situation. And sometimes you're rewarded with the uh, what you needed off the extra cards anyways. But yeah, yeah. that was the 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 biggest surprise with me was kind of the resurgence of Arcus and Talion a little bit. Like I said, only one in top eight, and Justin did kind of – or did Justin did lose in top eight. But there was a couple more on uh, winning ins. Like Gabe, I believe, believe beat uh, Isaac Malaski on the winning in and then bubbled out at ninth. So we could have seen two Arcus and Talion in top eight. Who knows where things change from there. Yeah, and Pram got top 32 with it as well, right? Yeah, Pram was in top 32. I'm trying to think if there's any other Pablo, one else that I remember. I don't remember how Pablo did exactly. I don't think... Pablo, Pablo didn't make day two. I think Pablo okay. actually played Palkia, though. I think Pablo paid Palkia oh. and Talion. No, I th okay, okay. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, so uh, part of the part of that group, I believe, but chose to play, go with a different deck on the day. Got it. Um, but yeah, that was that That was like the biggest surprise to me, I think. More more so than even something like Bl the finals being Blissey around on. Like, kind of the resurgence of Arkantel. I just didn't expect that to happen. Now that group has played Arkantel for the last couple of events. So maybe is it just their pet deck and they just want to keep rocking with it? Or can it actually keep up with Palkia Intel? Like, is it actually worth it to reconsider it? I'm not too sure, to be honest. Well, I mean, Arceus is just probably one of the best attackers, if not the best attacker yeah. in the game. Since it's colorless, you can do so much with it. You can put it with so many different type types of decks. It's got the most powerful V-Star power with the Star Birth getting you any two cards, setting up whatever you want. And if you throw a big charm on it, it has 310 hit points. And Palkia can't get to 310. You can also limit your own bench. 
uh, in the matchup, you could theoretically get to a situation where you just have like a couple Arceus and try to Sharon's care heal and stuff like that, I guess. Uh, and the Sharon, yeah. what was still heavy on the Sharon's care had two copies of it with the pow pad as well. Yeah. Oh, Joao was one of the other play players playing yeah, Arceus. Yeah, and yeah. Um, but they all they chose to play the I think they had the Raikou in there. So they had a Raikou yes. and a basic lightning, so a little bit different. Um the other ones were just playing straight <clears throat> Arceus Intel, just water energy. So had the Raikou in there, so felt a little bit less confident in the Palkia matchup, um, obviously, than the other players yeah, who chose the, to bring it. But the only uh, new yeah, card surprise in general. Yeah, the only new card in this deck is Roxanne. So it's like literally yeah. <laughs> Justin took his top four deck from Secaucus Regionals and was like, Yeah, I'm gonna add this pretty good Roxanne card uh one is maybe he rolled up to the tournament and was like "Ooh, this is the regionals promo I'm just gonna slip this in here it seems good right <laughs> oh I forgot to get my swag at the tournament oh Not my even gosh how do you forget promo. to get your swag because <laughs> you don't get it at the you usually you, way back like a uh you know a season before the last season we had before COVID you'd get it as you like entered the tournament and now you have to like go pick it up you have to they go out of your way bro. to go get it. You're just it. putting money back in the organizer's pocket, <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I completely did not cross my mind. At, I don't think I don't think anyone in my room remembered to go get it, to be honest. No one ever had <laughs> any swag with them. So, yeah, definitely Let's did see, not. Let's see, Roxanne Regionals promo. It was probably like 50 bucks on eBay, something like that. Oh, shot. There's no way it's 50. I don't know. It's, it's probably it, it's going to be the only regionals that had the Roxanne promo, I guess, unless Melbourne had it as well, because there's only two regionals in this format. Whatever regionals happen next, it'll be for the next set. So it's a good card. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I, so I think that breaks up the top eight, rounds things out. Uh, we did hit the under on the Palkias. We set the under over under at 3.5. We both said yep. three Palkias. And yeah, sure enough, there were three Palkias. Two Arceus Duraludons, of course. Uh, we t talked about Brayden, who won the tournament. Also got to give props to Frank Mintmeyer, who got top eight with it as well. Um, has that list been? Is that list out there yet? I don't know if I. I haven't seen it yet. Is it that different? There's it, no Eldegoss, I assume. But... It is not out there. No, the the okay. two lists. Uh, Frank's is the only top eight one not posted. Franco's is not on Limitless yet, but he did post it on Twitter, I believe. Okay. So. Yeah, I mean, that wraps up the top eight. But there was, of course, other interesting decks running around. We saw um, a lot of cool things on the stream. We saw Alex Kreckler with his Charizard deck. We saw, yeah. um, you know, the Lightning Toolbox deck from um, from Ming, sorry, who was playing the, like, Zekrom Flaffy Raichu deck, which was a pretty cool one. We saw a Turbo Dialga deck on the stream in day two. So there's still a pretty um diverse meta it felt like was there any other cool deck in day two that you were like like, like specifically caught your eye when you're walking around the tables during the tournament not really and i didn't play against, like i said i didn't play against anything too yeah two, i played against what, two mil tanks one palkia two arcus around on so i didn't play against anything too ridiculous i guess if I think back on it, I didn't expect to hit two mil tanks and two Arcus Duraludon in day two, <laughs> two of each of those, but I didn't think it's anything too ridiculous. The Charizard deck is that guy I was going to mention. I think that deck's been super cool. I've been hyping it up a little bit. Yeah, the, we uh, did see the Radiant yeah. Heatran on the stream. Yeah. The Magma Basin, what they Magma Basin for the first time, you're like, are, do I have to deal with that now? Or like, what's he going to do? You know what I'm saying? So, so it was actually pretty um, wild because um, in the matchup, it was, it was Alex playing up against Ming who had the Zekrom deck. Um, and so you only need two damage counters on Heatran in order to knock everything out. Ming also did play oh. one mill tank. So the, it was kind of an interesting thing because Ming had one mill tank and two ordinary rod, but Alex had one Heatran and one ordinary rod. And that was his only way to deal with the mill tank was the, the radiant Heatran. Yeah. Um, 
but you only need two damage counters on the Heatran. So what Alex did was, you know, put the two on it. It has 160 hit points and Zekrom only deals 130 damage. So Ming didn't have a way to KO the Heatran. He couldn't respond and KO it. The only option would have been to use Raichu and using Raichu to just KO a one prizer and put that low HP Pokemon in the active feels pretty tough against like an Arceus or a Charizard deck. Um, yeah. which can easily respond to the KO. So what happened was Ming ended up coming up and hitting it with the Zekrom for 130. So the Heatran has 150 damage on it. Alex plays the switch and then can preserve it and then later on goes back into it and he hits for maximum damage. It deals 1,050 damage, <laughs> which is ridiculous. And I think might be a record for the most damage ever dealt by one attack on stream. It was pretty funny to see. That definitely sounds like it. Yeah, I think I, I think it, I think they played uh, they played Baby Lucky, the the forty snipe one. They could have cleaned it up off the bench. I don't know if Alex played Manaphy or not to protect it from that. I don't think that um, that Alecky was in there. Okay, I don't know. It was I just Zekrom and Zapdos. I'm pretty sure, if yeah, I'm was remembering a, correct. It was definitely a interesting. Yeah, the lightning toolbox was definitely cool, uh, for sure. Unfortunately, I don't think it's like quite powerful enough to keep up with the meta especially with Ar if arceus decks come back like that's gonna be tough yeah like sharon's care that that cannot deal with sharon's care mill tank is like you have to hope they can't kill your mill tank um <laughs> or i think you're gonna be in trouble for sure but um they're definitely really cool um to see more decks like that pop up and maybe if the meta becomes a little bit more stabilized we could definitely see something like that be like okay this is what i need to beat okay, I can do that, right? You know, but I feel like the meta is super open right now. There's so much stuff to account for and worry about that. Something like that I don't think can quite exist to a, uh, you know, a, a, a point where I could like win a tournament, but definitely cool to see them, uh, you know, do pretty well with it um, overall. But I, yeah, I can't think of any other like cool decks that I saw in yeah. day two. One that more that I wanted to talk about before know. we move on is um, Frank Persick playing the Ice Rider Calyrex. We talked about Ice Rider, Ice Rider just a little bit. He ended up getting top 32. Um, he actually just posted the list over on Twitter, said that he was fine sharing it now because he decided he's probably not going to be playing it for NAIC. So he shared his list and he actually shared his matchups as well. And he went five and two against Mew VMAX. And one of the two losses was a game that he had a quad prize loss. <laughs> so effectively <laughs> like pretty much six and one against Mew VMAX, which is kind of wild. Yeah. yeah, that is, uh, especially cause like I sure has always been pretty bad is there i haven't seen the i saw some of the list i don't remember is there path to the peak in the list he's got three yeah. path and one collapse stadium yeah. and his radiant pokemon is not halucha it is greninja did choose to play the radiant greninja probably just for the boosted consistency i would imagine yeah that's uh yeah so it's the b barrel build there no no uh yes. no inteleon yeah. b barrel uh two two ice rider two two uh palkia so that's like the main energy acceleration you're getting is from the Palkia to the Ice Rider, or you can just attack with the Palkia in a lot of situations. I'm sure Frank attacked with Palkia a ton. Because um, like, if they fill up their bench, you got a choice, but you're doing 290 damage. So that's KOing most things that you need to KO in the format. And then Ice Rider is there to kind of clean up the rest. And there was also, the most interesting thing that I saw was uh, the Ditto. So that way you kind of had like a flex third Ice Rider, third Palkia. So you could like bench Palkia, Ditto, Ice Rider. And no matter which one they KO'd, you'd have, you know, the backup of the other one. Exactly. So, 
Um, it's definitely very cool. Heavy on the Irita as well. Uh, no, no research or anything like that. So yeah, really cool, really cool list there from Frank. I thought it, he was just playing. I tried our Intellion the whole time. I'd even, I had seen <clears throat> Frank playing against. So that's what I assumed it was. But I saw the the tweet the other day, yesterday or today or whatever, with the list. I was like, oh, it's B Barrel the whole time. Yeah, definitely a very cool list from Frank, which is to be expected. There's always something cool coming out of Frank for sure. Yeah, definitely cool. He also plays the Ice Q in there, kind of the response to reggie gigas i imagine or the reggie yeah. deck you can't i guess it's not i mean maybe, maybe it is reggie gigas deck but just the reggie deck whatever uh and also have the, the uh well. what's that good against blissey mill tank if they yes. don't have uh yeah. tornadoes <laughs> yeah we don't get yeah tornadoes r.i.p is <laughs> gonna be having nightmares <laughs> Um, and then also did have the pukamuku in here the pitch of pukamuku just kind of one extra card draw uh, another way to just see more cards kind of a funny little uh inclusion not something i really expect for players to ever justify being worth the 60th slot but i mean i watched a couple of frank's games play out and he was he was pitching that pukamuku man it does seem a little awkward I feel like maybe it's the fourth trek and choose is better like opening that just sounds terrible so um but i yeah, guess but there's so many it. basics it's like such low odds to start pukamuku and no other basic eh, but you don't want to open the crowbat either so there's only really nine other pokemon you could open besides the puke to be honest so eh, eh. i don't know kind of feels like punkaboo odds there if you put the punkaboo in the mew <laughs> you're still opening it like more than you'd like to so it's there. It's the Pukamook is there. Um, definitely would have to play. You don't have the other thing. Like when I look at that, because you don't have like level balls, but you do have ultras and quicks, so you can find it a decent amount of the time, I guess. Because you do want to be pitching it like every turn, ideally, if you can. Definitely. All right. Well, before we get into our discussion on NAIC, we've got some business to attend to. The real important part of this cast, and that is, guess that flavor text, where we. Pick a card from the Pokemon TCG, read that fun little bit of text in the bottom right corner, the flavor text, and the other person tries to guess it. You, of course, along at home, get to guess it with us, so let us know. If you get it right down in the YouTube comments below, it is my turn to pick a card for Azul, and our scoreboard is actually all tied up. This is our 15th episode, and we have two points apiece, so we haven't done the best overall. And I, I do think that this is a kind of a hard one, Azul. So I'm not sure if you'll get it. Let's see if you can make it happen, though. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. When its skin gets wrinkled from moisture, it heads for a volcano. It lies flat on a spot with a lot of geothermal heat and dries itself out. Is it Salandit? Is that your guess? Yes. It is not Salandit. No, dude, I was so confident. <laughs> I was so confident. I don't know why I was. I was just like, it's Salandit. I was just like, I knew it. <laughs> I was that so might confident. be a record for the quickest guess oh, ever. Oh <laughs> what is it? What is it? Wait, so what, talk me through your thought process a little bit. Why Why did, just, Why were you so confident? I, like, I don't know. I seen. I saw. I remember seeing like a picture of a card with Salandit on it. He's like laying down. <laughs> it just sounded like it's a fire Pokemon. Volcano-y like looking type Pokemon, and then I don't know if his skin gets moist. Like that seems reasonable. Um, I think that's what I end, would have ended up on. No matter. I mean, I guess I could have guessed some stuff, but I was trying to go. You for the would not have ended and up was... on it if you used any of your lifelines. I uh, well, not any if you used several of your lifelines. But uh, for anyone I playing, I was just trying to go, dude. <laughs> I love the confidence. I, I do love the confidence, but oh you were very gosh. wrong. <laughs> 
So for anyone playing along at home, I will read uh, or do the lifelines for you, and then we'll take a look at the card. So for the first lifeline, what set the card is from? It is from Fusion Strike. No Saland, it's in Fusion Strike. What yep, stage is the card? Either. It is a basic Pokemon. Okay. And read right. an attack name. And its attack name is Let's All Roll Out. Which is that attack that deals more damage for each of your benched Pokemon that has the Let's All Roll Out attack. Is it the 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 big round rat? No, is it? What's the that one big called? round rat. <laughs> I yeah, get, what is that is, one it, I, is Sand True a big round rat? No. Oh, is it Sand True? It I would is have Sand never True. Sand I don't. I was so confident with Salanded. I was so confident. Yeah, this is a tough one wow. because it sounds like a fire type Pokemon. To be yeah. honest, um, and honestly, Salandit was a super good guess. I hadn't even thought about that whenever I picked this card. <laughs> um, but yeah, Salandit was a really solid guess. Unfortunately incorrect this week azul but maybe yeah, one of Andrew you doing by volcanoes yeah you know he's just trying to dry his uh, skin out <laughs> I uh, thanks to the geothermal heat <laughs> <laughs> so let us know down in the youtube comments if you got the flavor text guess correct this week and we'll move on to our discussion on naic the north american international championships are taking place this weekend it's the biggest tournament of the year 1500 ish masters more than likely will be in attendance one of the most difficult tournaments to win because you have to play it out through your pod it'll be you know seated into two different pods and then you have to play the best 60-something players from each pod in day two and then have to fight it out for top eight. It is a slugfest to make it into cut at NAIC. Yeah, definitely. Definitely always the uh, second, second toughest tournament of the year, I feel like, pretty much all the time. I don't know. It, it's kind of hard to compare them because when you compare it to something like OCIC or UIC, um, they're smaller, but there's a higher concentration of just top-level players. Yeah. So you're more likely to hit you know, a Stefan or a Robin Schultz, you know, um, the deeper and deeper you go into the tournament, you're just more likely to hit those level of players. But I mean, it's still like being the biggest tournament still like adds a ton of, uh, a ton of, uh, <clears throat> what's it called? Merit to the event or whatever you want to call it, prestige definitely. to it as yeah. well. Uh, I still think Worlds is definitely by far the hardest tournament to to win because just the overall player level is so much higher on average, you know, every single round of the tournament. But uh, yeah, always, a, always a big one every single time. Cause it is the, the biggest tournament of the year every time. And um, unfortunately, uh, Stefan will not be able to defend their two year or two time title. Um, they won the last two NAICs and unfortunately won't be able to make it to as of right now, as far as I know from their tweets from earlier, uh, Stefan won't be there to defend their title, which kind of sucks. Yeah, he said over on Twitter that um, went to the airport and there was like some issue with his passport or something, which yeah. he said it was like not in good condition, but he's flown with it while it's in this condition over the last couple of years, uh, but then did ultimately say that uh, th this one tweet here, he said, finally, after I managed to file a report because his bag got lost as well, uh, he headed home, didn't have his luggage, but at least gained wisdom by which I mean, not that, but instead that I tested positive for COVID. So he did end up is sick apparently as well. So best wishes to Stefan. I'm definitely bummed that 
uh, he won't be there because, you know, winning two of the hardest tournament ever is pretty ridiculous, or the biggest tournament ever, at least, I should say, one of the hardest, certainly. Um, and I know that he definitely wanted to defend his title. He's proud oh, of the yeah. fact that he's won it <laughs> twice and would love to have gone for the three-peat. Yeah, that definitely sucks. It, like, it, I mean, it, it, it does kind of, like not ruin the event but like for me personally as like a competitor i wanted stefan to be there right like if i'm winning that event i wanted stefan to be in the event as well so it is kind of like one of those things where it's uh definitely uh takes away a little bit from the event i think as far as like on the on the hyper competitive level of things right it's still gonna be a great event no matter what but yeah it kind of sucks want to mention that for sure um but hopefully <laughs> hopefully can show up to worlds no problem maybe he has to get a new passport i guess <laughs> yeah but, maybe so um i don't know if you need that if he's gonna be in europe anyway so Maybe he doesn't need that, but <laughs> might need to get a no, new probably because uh, London or the UK is not oh, in the yeah, European yeah. Union anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, so make sure you get a new passport, Stefan. We want to see you. We want to see you competing at Worlds. I, one of the in one of the tweets, Stefan was like, "I will be getting top eight at Worlds now, though." So, um, just gonna He's store banking up all some the karma. Power. Yeah, <laughs> banking some karma for Worlds. Um, but uh, yeah, biggest tournament of the year. Um, and going to be the first international for so many players. Uh, yes. The amount of players I ran into at regionals who are like, oh, this is my first tournament is so high. Actually, it was kind of ridiculous so far this year. The amount of players I ran into who it's their first IRL tournament ever. Um, I mean, this, the, 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 even that many more people is going to be their first tournament at, it's going to be an international tournament. Um, so like, I mean, what is it? What do you think that experience is going to be? What was it like at your first tournament, Chip? Actually, like, what was your first? I can't even remember my first one, but you, you're a little bit more recent. My first do you regionals. Have, do you remember your, yeah. Do you remember your first like yeah. big tournament? Yeah, my first regionals was the 2015 Virginia Regional Championships. It was like in the fall of, or no, maybe like the spring of 2015. No, I think it was fall. I no, the fall of 2015. The fall of 2015. And I actually met you at that tournament, but I had no idea who you were. You definitely had no <laughs> idea who I was because I was a nobody. <laughs> and uh, where I was sitting there just watching day two play out, uh, I played Evil Tall Maxis at the tournament. I was terrible at the game. Uh, didn't really <laughs> <laughs> made plenty of mistakes, I'm sure. But it was a blast. I had a great time, and I was just trying to talk to people and you know talk about Pokemon because it was like my new hobby, the thing I was getting into. And then, um, yeah, I remember sitting there because that was the tournament that Grant was doing well with the um, the Magnezone Raikou Eels deck or whatever, right? And um, I was, like, sitting there talking to you about that, and I didn't realize, like, it was a deck that you had, like, already been working on or something like that. Or maybe I'm thinking a tournament ahead or something. I think you are a tournament ahead there, yeah. Because that's, that's a tournament where I played Raikou Eels. Um, oh, at, maybe that's at, why I was talking to you yeah. about it, because I remember being my little <laughs> scrubby self like I had, uh, <laughs> um, you know, was super into the game and like just trying to like because there was a lot of expanded tournaments at that time, especially in my area, because expanded wasn't quite as ridiculous with how many more sets had been added. Um, I remember like looking at the card pool and thinking like, "Ooh, this new Raikou card that came out actually could be good with this other old card that I've like seen some old YouTube videos and stuff on. And so I think I was like excited about that and talking to you about it during one of the top eight matches that was happening or something like that. But, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, first tournament, a lot of fun. And that's what we, my suggestion is to people always when it comes to your first tournament, just enjoy the moment. It's you only get your first tournament, <laughs> your first major once. Um, don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. Just go with an open mind. Be ready to learn. Be ready to accept that you're probably going to make mistakes. There is definitely a learning curve when it comes to playing at an event like this. You know, you have to deal with 
actually playing against an opponent as opposed to playing someone online. You got to deal with yeah. judges. You got to deal with gameplay errors. And gameplay errors are just going to happen. It's actually kind of ridiculous this weekend in Milwaukee how many games I was just kind of standing by watching uh, and like noticed a gameplay error happen and be like, uh, Hey, make sure you do this. <laughs> Cause like, it would be like someone would take a prize in Trinity Nova and shuffle their deck and then put the deck back. And I'd be like, don't for, uh, don't forget to take your prize card. <laughs> Dude, I, that's what happened. I Trinity Nova and forgot my prize cards. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. See, you got a game loss yeah. for or a, a double prize loss for that. Right. Yeah. So. And that's That's because it's so good. You get to take a knockout. You KO'd one of their Pokemon, so it's gone. You get energy out of your deck and put it on a Pokemon. It's like, why would I also get a prize card for this? That's ridiculous. Like, I'm already doing, like, so much. Um, but, yeah, that, <laughs> that's why I uh, forgot to take a prize card. Because, like, there's so much going on, right? You're, like, attacking. Mm -hmm. You're going to your deck. You're getting your energy, deciding where to put them. Sometimes you forget to draw the prize card as well. So I've um, actually only ever played in two internationals. I played at NAIC in 2017 and NAIC in 2018. I wasn't able to go to the 2019 NAIC. Uh, and then I got to commentate EUIC. Um, and I'll be there this weekend as a caster once again. But you've played in probably like almost all of the ICs at this point. Or have you played in literally all of the ICs that have taken place? I guess besides this I year's missed. EUIC. Yeah, this year's UIC, and then I missed the first IC in Australia. And then I think I've been to every IC besides that. I actually, I think so, yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So, I've been to all the ones in uh, Latin America, all the ones in Brazil. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I just missed two, I think, yeah. So, I mean, these are international events. There's going to be players here from all over the world. I've already seen people posting, you know, pictures on Twitter of themselves traveling. The the travel's already started this week. Um and, you know, maybe many of the people listening are listening to the cast this week as they're traveling to uh, to NAIC. But, um, yeah, I mean, as someone who's played in a bunch of these and played against plenty of international players, I imagine plenty of players that you don't even speak the same language as or maybe English is their second or third language. So um, I don't know. What are you what are, do you have any tips for anyone when it comes to participating in internationals maybe like when it comes to communication with a player who doesn't speak english or or that you don't speak their language or communication when you don't know like what a foreign card does something like that um, i mean i think the number one thing with most of that kind of stuff is just don't be afraid to call over a judge like i mean and don't, you're not doing it in like a malicious way i think that's actually like such a big thing with players in general especially when like gameplay errors actually are happening People are just like afraid to call over judges, but well, like... people think that it's like you're calling them out. Like if you're calling a judge yeah. over, but it's like a judge <laughs> yeah. just comes over to fix things. It's not necessarily that anyone did anything bad. You know, sometimes yeah. you just did something wrong or made a mistake and you have to get someone over there, a third party that can come correct it. That's what the judges are there for. Yeah, exactly. Don't be afraid to call over. A judge. I think if something like truly, um, you know, game breaking happens, like what I always say is like, you know, if my opponent by saying draws an extra card, I just tell them to put it back on top of their deck, right? Because I show up to play, be my opponent in game of Pokemon. But if you if your opponent's playing a foreign card, or you you don't know what they're saying, and they're trying to explain something that's going on the board, say that is incorrect, or you know your opponent plays two supporters, or you play two supporters, or someone ends up with an extra energy in play, just like yeah. call over a judge for those things that can't be that can't be fixed. Like it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal to call over a judge. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It feels like yeah, like people are afraid. They don't want to be the bad guy, right? Yeah. People feel like when you're calling over a judge, you're being the bad guy, right? But it's like, if the other person is a reasonable person, especially a reasonable competitor, they'll respect the fact that you want to call over a judge for whatever reason. And if you want to like explain it to your opponent first, if you can, you know, but especially if like if you're playing against someone who doesn't speak your language, then 
you got no choice but to call for a judge so you can hopefully get someone over who can like translate uh and actually get some communication between you and your opponent so um yeah just don't be afraid to call for a judge for pretty much for for most things in the game right yeah just they have people that, there who are literally there are people and our judges there who are literally there as translators like that is their main yeah. function and main role is to be a translator for all the various languages that'll be um spoken at the tournament so don't be afraid to call a judge over uh for sure i don't know any other tips as far as like gameplay or you know enjoying yourself or just the experience overall yeah i mean just try and have a good time doing what you like to do like at an event or outside of an event you know especially if you're there with friends or whatever go do something in the the new city you've never been to or the new area you've never been to or the beautiful stuff city of like Columbus. that yeah i mean ohio but uh <laughs> but yeah just try and enjoy yourself no matter what don't stress too much about your deck choice or anything like that show up and play pokemon it is the biggest event of the year but like people I, but no one really takes it i mean i guess like an like people take it a little bit more seriously but not really to the extent that i feel like people the pressure some people put on themselves like no one's really taking the event that serious if you want to you can but i think having a good time is just as important as you know trying to win the event and or do well whatever whatever your goal might be for the event day two top 64 whatever it might be especially some people are chasing their invites here at yeah. the end of it all um, oh i guess i could talk to that like don't be i mean this scenario comes up a lot you know the the i don't want to say pressure but some people you know are playing to try and get top 64 or top 256 to try and get their invite don't feel like you need to scoop to someone or help someone out who needs those last couple points, right? If you want to play your game and, and walk away with the dub at the end of whatever round it might be, that's, that's fine. Right. Um, yeah. And I'll say something too, to this, because I was actually in that exact situation in 2017, 2017 was the year where the world's points were just massively messed up. They, um, the requirement threshold earlier in the season was really high and then they had to drop it mid-season because only like five people had qualified for worlds or something like that uh they messed up pretty much and so it was a weird it was a really weird season but i needed to get top 128 at naic in order to secure my invite to worlds and i went into it knowing like i need this but if I don't get it, it means I didn't earn it. Even though Pokemon, you know, yeah. it, it, that season's maybe a little different because Pokemon kind of messed up with how the structure and all worked. Um, but I didn't want to ask someone or say to someone, hey, I need this win to get my world's invite. Because I wanted to earn my world's invite. You know, it was, it was going to be my first invite if I got it. And it came down to my last round. In round nine, if I won, I was going to get top 128 to get points. If I lost, I was not going to get top one to, or 256, I think maybe it was. I don't remember exactly, but I think I just needed points. Your pod. Uh, yes, yeah, top 128 in my pod or whatever. Um, and so that's what it came down to. And I did not say a word to my opponent. I did not say, hey, I really need this win to get my invite. <laughs> I just sat down and I played the game. And it was a close game, but I ended up winning. I got my world's invite and I shared it with my opponent afterwards. I was like, hey, just so you know, I won the game and that, that this win gets me my invite. And they were super excited for me. It was a super nice guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, just there's going to be a situation almost certainly for someone who's listening where someone tells you, um, Hey, I really need this win to get my invite or I need to get these points to get my invite. Don't let that pressure you into you conceding to someone. Nobody 
uh, you do not owe anyone a free win. <laughs> you owe yeah. yourself um, whatever goal you have set for yourself, right? So play to yeah. win the game. Don't worry about what anyone else has to say or what's going on. And just, you know, and, and to anyone who is in that position where they need points to get your invite, um, this season is another situation similar, I guess, to 2017 where things are kind of messed up because we're playing two yeah, halves of seasons and we didn't get cups for the second half of the season. Um, so, I, I mean, it's a tough spot for a lot of people I know. But at the same time, um, you know what you need to get. Don't put that pressure on your opponent. You know what you need to do, so you need to go out and do it. You need to go do the thing. You need to win your games, play cleanly, pick a good deck, put the pressure on yourself to make it happen. Don't try to flip it onto your opponent to try to get a win um, when they owe nothing to you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely want to mention that because that's definitely something. It's going to come up a lot. A, this is the last event to get points at. So I know a couple players out there who need their invites who are looking for those last couple points. And I'm sure there's, you know, tons more that I don't know. And I mean, anyone with at least 100 points, if they win the event, can get their invite. So <laughs> there's a that's lot right. of players out there who can get their invite, right? And Some we've seen the last three major tournaments have been won by players who it was their first top eight. Braden, yeah. uh, Parker Lish, and then Luke Smith in Secaucus. That was their first top eights in the Masters division. I know Luke had won a regionals as a senior. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so it just goes to show you, like, I mean, these tournaments are tough. I think it is probably a little bit less likely that at an international someone would make their first cut and then find themselves be the champion. But it definitely can happen. I mean, yeah. the Braden, who the, it was his first top cut, he beat Tord in top eight, the best player in the game right now. So, yeah, it, but anything can happen in a game of Pokemon, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit harder. You're going to have all the, the great players from all the regions coming to this one uh, with any IC. Yeah, the ICs is going to be a little bit more difficult for that to happen or to even have someone who hasn't made a top eight or like one of regionals even be in the top eight, right? Like, um, I feel like usually when you look at the top eight of ICs, like everyone who's in there is usually someone who's like been at least in a top eight of a regional right. before, right? So, yeah. Um, Definitely a little bit more difficult at the ICs, but yeah. I you mean, hey, know. at EUIC you this year, know. we did see Mateus get top four, and it was his first top yeah. eight. So, or top, That's yeah, true. and ended up getting top four. So, it, it can happen. It happens. Sure. It happens. So, yeah. yeah, let's try to we get we got let's try to wrap this up in about fifteen minutes or so, if we can. Let's run through these decks. We've talked about kind of the results from Milwaukee. Um, so, starting with Palkia, is Palkia still the deck to beat? And which way is the best to play it as far as the techs go? Are you playing Cross Switcher? Are we playing Irida? Are we playing Crobat? What do we think? Uh, I mean, I think definitely Italian over Turbo. I guess I'll mention that first. As far from that goes, like everything feels pretty good. <laughs> like that's what I was saying before. Like everything feels good. I like VIP passes for sure. You should definitely be playing some count about VIP pass. I think it's just kind of like not it's basically mandatory like um uh almost well i guess if you're not playing irida or kind of the more turbo build that the the bradner and crew were playing then i guess maybe like if you play like the riley build i guess battle vip pass feels awkward in that build because at least with the irida you have so many more outs to turn on battle vip pass going second which is like what you which is like the scariest that's the scary part about palk is when you go second in like the mirror or in quite a few matchups to be honest like when you go second you're like all right let's see how this goes um that's where it can get kind of scary so that's why like the battle vip pass makes everything so much smoother because you just get a bunch of basics in play turn one but um, i guess if you're drawing the extra cards with something like riley's list with like the crowbat or research then um that will get you 
you know, hopefully those extra basic Pokemon, but the Irida kind of guarantees it, um, <clears throat> you know, getting your Battle VIP Pass and whatever. So I think I do kind of like the Irida Battle VIP Pass a little bit more. That's also just like, really consistent about just finding everything you need every single turn. And you don't actually need that much as Palkia every single turn. You don't need to research for seven cards to find, you know, a Bucket and a Palkia V-Star when you could just play Irida, hold your five-card hand or whatever it was, and then go get your Bucket and your Battle VIP or and your Palkia V-Star, right? So... I kind of lean towards like in the Irida stuff a little bit better because like you you actually just don't need that much as Palkia turn to turn so you may as well just guarantee it and kind of build on your hand and like always have every single option moving forward instead of losing some of them to a research. So whenever a deck like Arceus Duraludon just wins the last regionals, it feels like you know Mew players weren't really respecting it. They're playing all special energy and no Echoing Horn, so that matchup's going to be a little bit tougher. Um, you know it feels well positioned against things like the Palkia V Star. Is it something players need to be concerned for and have a game plan going into NAIC now uh, facing the fact that it had a win? Or are the people who wanted to play Duraldon going to be a little too worried to play it now that it did just win the last tournament? I think the meta is just so diverse. I guess like talking about like you mentioned like is Palkia the BDIF? Or like I think I would like going into is this it the event, deck to I beat would... still. Deck to beat. I still want to beat. I like. I would be fine. Like I said earlier. I think I said this earlier. Like I would be fine taking the loss to Mew. Like a hard yes, loss yeah. to Mew. Like unwinnable. As long as I made sure I like had a a hard win against Palkia and Talion, Right. Like I had to find trade off. Um. So, uh, for Arceus Duraldon, like I don't think you have that much to because the meta is so diverse because of that. Like that's part of it. It's like the meta is just like so diverse right now. I think it's going to get more diverse going into NAIC. Um. I think it's fine to like Arceus Duraldon. I think it's just like a fine deck to play. I'm not a huge fan of it personally. I think it's a little bit. It doesn't play, like I said, it doesn't play enough games, even though it has Arceus in there. I still feel like it is a little bit clunkier. So I'm not a huge fan of the deck. I don't think I'm going to play it myself. But uh, if you're an Arceus Duraldon fan, or like you liked it, you liked the deck, and you, uh, seeing it win like makes you be like, oh, actually, it is viable when I thought it wasn't. I think I do want to play that. Then I would say go for it. And um, uh, But although I would also say if you're playing Mew, I would also include Echoing Horn. But yes. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean you shouldn't play Arceus Duraldon, I don't think. But I would like... It's also really good against Pussy Mill Tank as well. So, like, I think Echoing Horn just makes... Also, with Arceus de decks in general coming back, like, it just makes sense Arceus for Echoing Horn to back into Mew. Yeah, exactly. So, I wouldn't be scared of playing Arceus Duraldon, even if it did win. There's not too much that actually hard counters Arceus Duraldon to begin with. Like, Echoing Horn to Mew, that's pretty annoying. But everything else can't really do too much. Like, even Tord had the Starmie, which is a pretty good uh, card to have in that matchup. But, um, you know, still Brady was able to beat Tord, so... Um, it's good for the matchup, but it doesn't like auto win the matchup by any means. So like even stuff that people can play, there's no real like hard counter to Arcus route on, I guess, you know, maybe two echoing horn in and me would be pretty annoying. <laughs> so are you going to respect mill tank this weekend? Are you going to play a deck that has either a hard answer or are you going to make sure that you at least have like a winnable game plan against it? At least blissy mill tank, I guess if someone has that, the mill tank control stall sauce then you're not worried they can about probably that. Have yeah. that one sure, sure. yeah if, they, if, they, if i hit bump into them and they got me they got me i think but i think i'd at least make sure i can have it out to blissey like like the like the shauna that i played in the the arceus flying peak now you maybe have to take account for the tornadus i guess which is fair so now you have to be like okay so now not only do i have to play uh now, now that shauna doesn't work in a deck like that so maybe you have to come up with something else like a phoebe or something that's actually another card we were considering was like phoebe in uh the big peak Arceus deck, we're like Phoebe or Shauna, which one's better? Is Cancelling Cologne not better than Phoebe? Oh, I guess you can pal pad you for the Phoebe. Pad, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Um, Canceling Clone is such a weak card. I hate that card. <laughs> it's so weak. Um, but yeah, the Phoebe was like a consideration. So you could like do a Phoebe in there if you wanted to. And then you kind of just like play a more aggressive tempo game against them where you're just constantly swinging. Um, you're either bossing up their Blissey or you're hopefully having the Phoebe to get through the mill tank and so on. So you just play like a more aggressive uh, route against them. Um, so you can just do that, something like that. But I think I would just have it, yeah, for Blissey Mill Tank, I, I just like some, somehow, because that also beat like some of the fringe Mill Tank shenanigans. Like I've seen, there's people who are just like playing one of Mill Tanks in like random stuff as well. Like I saw one of Mill Tank in like uh, an Arceus B-Barrel deck. They just had a Mill Tank, right? Like that kind of stuff is just really annoying to deal with and sometimes impossible to deal with depending on what you're playing. So I think just like, if you're beating Blissey Mill Tank, uh, if you can beat, if you have an out to Blissey Mill Tank, you'll beat a lot of the fringe Mill Tank stuff anyways. But not not like the hard like quad Mill Tank decks that might be a thing, but like you'll beat all like the little Mill Tank shenanigans. Okay, so if you know going into this weekend that you want to announce Starbirth and Trinity Nova a few different times, what uh, color card are you playing alongside it? Are we going with the Dragon type? Are we going with the Flying Pikachu with some Lightnings? Are we sticking to Waters with Straight Intellion? Um, one of the decks that I really was actually a fan of watching play out was the deck that Jose Marrero played. He had the Flying Pikachu with the Hasuian Decidui V-Star, which I think coming off of Blissey doing pretty well. I mean, I Blissey's honestly a deck I could see players just being like, you know what? This was just proven that it can do pretty well. It is a pretty linear strategy. Obviously, like at the highest level, there's more intricate plays to be made, but... Um, I mean, overall, base level, pretty straightforward of what you want to do. Yeah. Um, so I could definitely see plenty of players picking up Miltank, so, or p picking up Blissey, I should say. So that would make me want to lean towards maybe that. I, I was definitely a big fan of Jose's list after I saw it. Yeah, the, the situation is like, okay. Like, as another, like, the reason I didn't like the situation going into the event is because, like, majority of Miltank players are playing Crushing Errors. So you have to play, like, two basic fighting energy. And then you can't really play like you can't go Crobat Vmax basic fightings and basic lightnings, um, but you could like I said like take it a loss to Mew and even then the, like with that kind of deck specifically it's not a loss to Mew you still have uh, Marnie Path Roxanne Path right so yeah. you still have that as an option so I would say the Citra yeah Citra would be a decent tech a decent shout for sure something over like the Phoebe but then you do have to kind of splash into the fighting energy pool uh, but both Mill Tanks I played up against didn't neither had like Connor didn't play Crushing Hammer and the uh, the other player I played against in Swiss Day Two didn't have Crushing Hammer either so it seems like the successful Mill Tanks don't play the Crushing Hammer <laughs> so I mean maybe you can be like oh, okay well now if no one expects a Crushing Hammer and Mill Tank I'm gonna play them but then your deck's just bad at that point it seems like so I guess your your end result will be not good so. Oh, so so from what we've seen, also Shintaro wasn't playing Crushing Hammer in the mill tank either, I believe. So, I mean, it seems like the the Crushing Hammers are not the the way to go. Uh, to just be a little bit more consistent, and straightforward seems to be the way to go for the Blissey mill tank. So, yeah, the Sidui is pretty good if they're not gonna play the Crushing Hammers. But that's why I was kind of turned off from the the Sidui initially. But without Crushing Hammers being in there, then it is like a consistent answer for sure. Uh, but I think I would prefer the 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 Pikachu, the flying. Like, you just I just the felt like I played so played, many games yeah. of Pokemon. Yeah, I just like uh, the Italian build is good. Like Shady Dealings is nice, but using Crobat's also nice, and just having more draw supporters turn one is also nice. Being able to Trinity charge, the amount of times that Trinity charge turn one was so high because the Flying Pikachu has free retreat. <laughs> so you either open the Arceus or the Flying Pikachu, or you yeah. hit your your switch card and you're just like turn one uh, Trinity charge, and you're just like turn one Trinity charging all the time. So it just felt so much more like I just felt like I had such a and such a it was such a good place. Uh, on my turn one to turn two, like the first two turns of the game, I felt like I was in such a good, solid place, like pretty much every single game. So I like the, the B-Barrel Arceus decks for sure, I think, over the other two. 
So where were you at going into this weekend on Mew VMAX? Was that something, I, I mean, I imagine it was something you were talking about or considering at least a little bit, uh, even though on the podcast, you know, we said you were done with it. But, um, I mean, you're talking about for NAIC, it's something that you feel like you'd be okay taking a loss to. So if you're someone who likes to play Mew VMAX, that's probably something you're loving to hear uh, Azul saying on the cast this week. Um, I don't know. Where do you feel like Mew stands going into this tournament, and where, where was it at for you guys going into Milwaukee? Um, so it was uh, a pretty high, I guess probably the third pick as far as decks go. Is like our, our Paul Cantel is probably the number one pick, and then uh, Peak ended up being the actual pick, and then Mew was the other pick outside of that, I feel like, for us for sure. But none of us wanted to play Mew, so... Um, but I feel like the reason I'm like, okay, taking a loss, to, and I think Mew's in a really good spot. Like, I think it was a really good play for Milwaukee as far as matchup spread goes, and I think it gets better going into NAIC. Um, but as far as, like, well, the reason I'm taking, fine taking a loss to it, even if that's true, is just, like, the, the it's pop, it's like the popularity is going down. It's not like it, it, it's like it's matchup spread is getting better. I feel like less people are teching for it, but it's not like you're actually, like, better than Paul Kitt Intel as far as matchup spread goes or anything like that. Like, you don't actually have, like, that much big of an advantage. And you're still Mew as well, so you have, like, less control over games. And I feel like you do kind of play less games than the the other top decks in, like, Arceus and Palkia decks. So that's, like, another reason to, like, not play the deck, I guess. And then, I mean, top players in the game consistently, you know, besides a couple, like, Rowan and stuff, just don't play the deck. So if my goal is to win the event, I probably don't have to beat Mew if I get to top eight to win the event, you know? So... That's kind of the, the thought process there. It's like, that's why I'm fine losing to it. I think it's a really good play, but I'm probably not going to play it. And I don't expect to have to beat it if I can get to top eight, probably, unless Rowan gets top eight as well. I guess that'd be the only <laughs> the only situation where I'd probably have to play against it. But All right, everyone, go ahead and clip here. it, save it, make sure we have it for when Azul <laughs> inevitably plays Mew this weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I wouldn't, like, I if I did pick it, I wouldn't be like that surprised. Because like, I, think, I think Catcher Mew is just really, if the deck's just really, really good and like less people are worried about it. Like it's the, the further we get into this turn, this uh this meta like less people are worried about Mew. so it's a good it's a good it's a good pick for sure but like i wouldn't want to play it because i just don't think it's going to be the a deck to win the event for sure and then one more <laughs> deck that we we didn't really talk about this for the milwaukee section of the cast but it did do pretty well nick moffitt got top 16 with this and that is the reggie gigas was pretty heavily played i feel like um, didn't get into the top eight. Nick did the best though with top 16, which is still very solid, obviously. And he was playing an interesting list with the Cramo Maddox, which is certainly surprising. Um, but yeah, I don't know where <laughs> we got Azul's getting a visitor or something. <laughs> we we want to have a guest spot on the cast. <laughs> He's saying go. <laughs> Azul is pointing and saying go. <laughs> Okay, so Reggie Gigas, how how do you feel about it for uh, for NAIC? It, it was pretty heavily played, but didn't really convert the best besides Nick's list. Um, yeah, it was, it was there was a lot of them. I played against one. I think I played against Nick. Nick was the only Reggie I played against. Um, and I think Nick I said think. on Twitter that his only losses, um, I think two two of them were uh, Duraladon, which is just a tough matchup. Yeah. He didn't play Path to the Peak, so didn't have that answer. Um, and then one other, let me see if I can. It was Flying Pikachu. And okay. I would have, if I didn't get the, uh, Nick is who I got the double prize penalty against. So if I didn't get that oh. against Nick, I would also, also 2-0 Nick in that one. But uh, <laughs> it didn't go that way. Um, but um, 
it's a good but another flying pikachu on that uh list potentially but i think the deck i just don't think the deck is actually that good so like i was i thought it was a meme then i was really hype on it the more i played it i just don't think it actually has a very good pocket intelligent matchup like like at all like i was actually like shocked to see that riley played two temple of Sinnoh, because I think you beat it without Temple of Sinnoh pretty consistently. Like, I think the matchup is at the worst 50-50 if you just include Roxanne. So, um, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I just did that. If you can't hold, if you can't beat Palkia and Talion and they're weak to lightning, if you can't beat them consistently and they're weak to lightning, like, what do you beat, you know? I just, yeah, not a huge fan of... Okay. I wish I was, though, because the deck is, like, super cool, but, yeah. yeah haven't been... Uh, it's a good stream a deck, right? Yeah, I've been a huge yeah, <laughs> streamed it a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I've been a huge fan since I've tested it more, I guess, like more seriously testing out the deck. It just didn't feel as good as I thought it was. Okay. Any other decks that you think players should consider or maybe have on their radar when it comes to preparing for the event this weekend? You know, we mentioned some of the other things that made day two in Milwaukee, the Dialgas, Samurots. Um, we saw not turbo dark, but like a slow dark deck on the stream. It was like Galarian Weezing with Darker IV Star. Uh, and I do think there's some merit to Galarian Weezing right now. I think that card uh, isn't too bad. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, the Weezing seems cool. I don't know if it's with turbo dark or not. What I've said about Dark Rise specifically is like, I kind of gave up on trying to make it work, but I think there might be something there that to make it work. I just don't know what it is. Like I've tried it initially as like the first deck I built, I feel like maybe second. Yeah. Like first deck I built on stream after Astral Radiance came out. I was like, I worked on it for quite a bit, but I was like, it's just too hard to make this thing work. And I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to devote the time to make this work. I'd rather just play all the other new decks and learn those instead. And so far we haven't seen it work really to the extent that I feel like it, there's maybe the potential there. Um, I know Sosa has been playing a lot of Turbo Dark. <laughs> so if Sosa goes to NAIC, maybe Sosa has cracked it. If someone's going to, might as well be the uh, the patch king. So we'll see if Sosa has figured it out. Uh, but Dialga, I think the Dialga deck, like the Turbo Dialga mm -hmm. build itself, super good. Uh, we'll see if that maybe shows up a little bit more. We didn't really see, you said there was like one uh one stream of that in day two maybe right. could see some more of that popping up at naic for sure it's been super popular in online events recently so maybe see a little bit more of that carry over to naic specifically because there was not a whole ton of it at milwaukee for sure well i think that's gonna wrap up our thoughts on naic i'm super excited for this event if you guys are going to the tournament and you want to come say hello to either myself or azul we will have more dice i didn't even we haven't even mentioned this yet the dice was a uh, a huge hit i gave out all of the dice i brought so yeah i gave out all the ones i brought um on friday at the event like i didn't have any to give out on saturday i had to give azul his dice so um, yeah, we'll have more of them to give out at NAIC. Hopefully enough. <laughs> Probably not going to be, though. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll do another wave, like a different color, probably in the future. You know, maybe next yeah. season sometime. But, yeah, try to come up and get one if you can. If you already got one, please don't come and get another one because we want to make sure everyone has a uh, a chance to to get their hands on one if they want it. But yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Azul, I'm really excited for this weekend. I'm sure you're excited as well. I know you guys are going to be probably doing a lot of testing this week as you're uh, trying to figure out what the play is. So good luck in that. Um, if you guys want to support the cast, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, check out the new Highlights channel. It will be linked in the description, of course. You can follow me on Twitter at TrainerChip. You can follow Azul at Azul underscore GG. You can also, of course, follow the podcast Twitter as well at Uncommon underscore Energy. Yeah, appreciate it as always. See you guys next week. Peace. Peace.